to season number one, episode number 12 of Splash Considerations, a San Francisco Giants podcast. My name is Justice Del Santos, joined once again by Rory O'Toole and Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron. And for the first time in forever, we have some actual Giants-related news to talk about. On April 26th, uh, Francis Romero uh, tweeted the following, Yasiel Puig is very close to signing with the San Francisco Giants, a source tells me. The contract amount is unknown, but would have a one-year option. Both sides, Puig and Giants, are waiting for MLB to clarify the return date of baseball to make the official agreement. So there are a couple things here uh, that I just want to point out real quickly. Uh, For those that are skeptical about who Francis Romero is, just because not a knock on him, but he's not on the the same notoriety of a Jeff Passan or a Ken Rosenthal, he's actually a BBWAA member who works for MLB Advanced Media out of Miami. So in terms of credentials, the credentials are legitimate. And this guy, is he's putting his neck out on the line by making this deal known, especially when there is a transaction freeze happening. And that leads into the second point, there is a transaction freeze. So even if Puig and the Giants wanted to sign right here, right now, they wouldn't be able to do it until that is lifted. And additionally, Andrew Bagley uh, of The Athletic reported that he received a text from Farhan Zaidi saying, quote, we are not having any conversations, uh, parentheses, internal or external, end parentheses, about player transactions. At this point, Gabe Kapler also went on KNBR and kind of threw some water on it. That being said, we, we really don't got much else to talk about in terms of Giants baseball. And why not? Like, this, this idea has been floated around a lot during the offseason with it being a rebuild or a retool or however you want to call it. I've always been – I've always emphasized the idea of, like, let's just get weird with it. And I just want to hear, what are y'all reactions to this? Yasiel Puig. I, I thought it was, like, exciting. Because Yasiel Puig is such a polarizing figure in the baseball world. And obviously you got the Dodgers background, but just him personally, you either love him or you hate him. And we've got a lot of young outfielders at the moment. And it's weird to say, but I guess Yasiel Puig could be a veteran presence, which you would never think of putting him in that kind of position. But um, I it's just fun to think about. Like, I'm not taking it so seriously right now because Yasiel Puig, I feel like, is the type of guy who could change his mind hour to hour. But you know what? This Giants season might be sort of boring. There's potential for that. So if we could add some spice with Yasiel Puig, even if it's a disaster, I mean, we need something to talk about. So, Yasiel either way. Uh... The Serena Carana of the San Francisco Giants. Shout yes. out to the former One Golden Moment co-host. But Joey, <laughs> as a as a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, one team that used to employ Mr. Puig, uh, one team that whose uh, franchise also has a certain distaste uh, for the San Francisco Giants Incorporated. How you feeling? I don't know if I speak on behalf of all Dodgers fans. I actually think it'd be kind of cool to see Puig on the Giants. I think uh, – it would add another dimension to the rivalry. I think it could be cool to spice things up. I think every time the Angels, or excuse me, every time the Dodgers and Giants play, it could be must-see TV. Um, I think it's a good thing Bumgarner's gone because that could have been <laughs> kind of weird in the clubhouse. Yep. Um, but he's staying in the NL West if he 
you know, he's over in Arizona now. And if Puig does come to the Giants, they're going to be going at it all. You know, so that'd be kind of cool, actually. You can keep that going. Um, I don't know how a lot of Dodgers players are feeling about Puig, so I wonder how they would they would feel about playing against him. I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting to see, and I'm, I'm all about it. So let's hit on the Bumgarner point for a little bit because I think that's – if we're talking about entertainment value for the season, we're already looking forward to Bumgarner's return to Oracle to see what type of ovation he would get. And the fact that, you know, before all this happened, he was scheduled to pitch four or five times a year against the Giants for the next five years. And I think throwing Puig in the mix, though, would make things very interesting for a lot of different levels. The distaste is already there. Like before this podcast, I rewatched like just a three minute highlight reel of Puig and Bumgarner just going at it. <laughs> that relationship, I feel like it would still remain the same quote-unquote relationship I think that would still remain the same on the field but what if we get into a scenario where the bench is clear and then you have like some of the the veteran guys on the Giants like Posey Crawford Bell it's I wonder whose defense are they going to rush to it's like are they going to rush to the defense of their former teammate or are they going to rush to the defense of their current one it would be a I think that would be like that would just add like another like layer of spice to it as well. I don't think there's any way they're defending Puig. I mean, Puig can defend himself. We saw him in that Pirates brawl. He's like throwing five or six guys off him. And now Puig was held back for a while there, and he escapes the hold of Cabrera and Votto, and he's trying to find Archer. Puig, you do not, I don't think anyone wants to throw hands with him. Maybe Bumgarner. That'd be like, oh, that would be... I don't know, Thanos versus Hulk or something? I'm trying to think of what that would even look like. You got two strong, stubborn dudes going at it. I'd pay a lot of money to watch that. I'm thinking about how the fans would – like, if something did go down, whose side would they be on? I feel like you kind of got to – you got to root for the guy wearing your colors, right? I mean, even despite all that Madison Bumgarner's done – for the Giants organization, like Justice, you said it plain and clear. Like you do have loyalties you have to adhere to. And bottom line, are you a Giant? No. Okay, then you're not our guy anymore. Like it broke my heart to see Matt Kemp getting booed at Dodger Stadium when he was on the Padres. But like, I understood it. Uh, I didn't boo him, but I, I mean, I understood because that's the way it is. If you're not in your team's colors, I mean, it's the way it is. I feel like Giants fans though have such deep love for Bumgarner that they would they'd still take his side like even though he's gonna be on Arizona we're gonna be like nah you're a giant for life it's like Nick fans were Nick for life you know it's like it would put the I Jerry Seinfeld's idea of rooting for laundry kind of not necessarily to the test but it would be like it's an imperfect theory just because the Giants have always been super big on remembering the past and the, the nostalgia factor is always cranked up to 11 so I think even in a scenario where like Bumgarner was to hit a home run at Oracle, then I, there's probably a large contingent of fans that would probably cheer him. Yeah, and then you got the variable of like Puig was a Dodger and already like probably more than half the fan base is gonna hate him no matter what he does. Like they're gonna take Bumgarner's side, and I think with the Matt Kemp situation, it was just like you didn't win a World Series with Matt Kemp. It was kind of up and down. You know, he's dating Rihanna. Then he's hitting below 300, you know. 
Dodger fans probably had a love-hate relationship with him, kind of like with Puig, as we'll definitely detail. Yeah, and there was a period where Kemp was getting hurt, like, repeatedly, and I feel like that angered a lot of people. But at the same time, it's like, we got Yasmani out of that trade, and I think every Dodger fan now, like, hates Yasmani. So, really? Oh, yeah, dude. He, uh... Inside Dodger psychology. (laughs) Who's the most popular Dodger besides Kershaw? Probably Bellinger or Turner. Ooh. I will say, I still... I still am a very firm believer. 2011 should have been camp. I st- I'm still very much a firm believer in that. Thank you very much. But one of the aspects of this, there, there are a lot of, there's some kind of sub points to this, aside from the excitement. Uh, the first point that I want to hit on, and this is really the main point of contention for me when you're trying to decide whether or not you should sign Puig, and that's the idea and this is it's more than you know the potential of being being a quote-unquote clubhouse cancer and we'll get to that it's more than the Dodgers affiliation but it's the argument that Puig would block someone from being called up and for me this argument is very gray there's like a lot of black and white here I can't really find a definitive argument for either side so currently the outfielders who are in the mix you have Mikey Stremski who had a breakout season last year Hunter Pence, Alex Dickerson. Dick! 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 Billy Hamilton, who signed a minor league deal. Uh, Austin Slater, who was hitting really well until he fell off a cliff in September. You also have some of the younger, younger guys, like a Jalen Davis, who was acquired at the trade deadline for Sam Dyson, as well as Chris Shaw. He wouldn't really be blocking Elliot Ramos just because – Ramos would still need a lot of fine tuning at the lower minor league levels. So those are sort of the guys that are in the mix. And if you really want to, like in an ideal world, you would have Slater and Shaw and Davis being prioritized in terms of plate appearances because they're younger. And then combine that with the presence of already Yaz and Dickerson and Pence. And it's kind of like, you know, where does, where would Puig really fit in this organization's long-term goals? But then on the flip side of that, it's there's no real guarantee that what the roster that they have on paper and the guys they have on paper are going to be productive. Like there, there's kind of a reason that Mike Yastrzemski, although he did have a breakout season last year, it, there's a reason it took him so long to get to that point, to get those appearances, just because he wasn't developing at other forks in the road. And then you have Hunter Pence and Alex Dickerson, who they are hurt pretty often. And then a guy like Chris Shaw, Jalen Davis, he flashed a little bit of that power last season, but you don't know if he's going to be able to put that all together. And then Austin Slater, that's a guy he's flashed his ability as a contact hitter and flashed a little bit of pop over the last couple seasons, but he hasn't done it to the point where you say, we need to carve out a spot for him definitively. And I would say the last little element before I throw it over to you guys is I don't like Farhan Zaidi based on what we've seen so far, he has he doesn't have a track record with the Giants of signing guys if they exceed a certain financial threshold. And so you got to assume that if like there's any any validity to these rumors, which again it's it is super loose, but if we want to assume that there's any truth that means that Puig has to be going at a price that's relatively low. And we've seen how Farhan Zaidi has been able to grab guys 
for, you know, grab these cheaper assets, these cheaper veteran assets and be able to flip them later on. That's how the Giants got Drew Pomeranz from the Brewers. That's how they got Jalen Davis from the Twins. So I just wanted to lay that all out. I want to throw it over to you guys and sort of see what your opinion is on whether or not, like the whole, I, the whole matter of the depth chart and whether or not he would be quote unquote blocking someone. I think the more interesting question to me is can Puig be comfortable with the fluidity of our outfield? Because last year we were really experimenting with different guys in the outfield, different positions. And as Puig's career has progressed, he's become a platoon guy. He's not always starting. And it's unclear whether he's cool with that role. Obviously, he's the type of guy who sees himself as a superstar. He has a superstar's mentality. Um, so, I, I think even if you make the baseball case for him, you have to find out psychologically, is he going to be comfortable with uh, shifting roles throughout the season, depending on what the team needs and injuries and is he going to poison team chemistry? I mean, that's kind of like the big question with him, really. Because um, you, you kind of – Puig is one of those players where you project onto him what you want to see. So people who love flashy baseball players and just highlights are like, yeah, Puig's exciting. He's going to be amazing. But if you're like more of a traditional baseball guy, you see all the flaws in his game how his he kind of hasn't met his potential and now he's 29 years old it's unlikely he's ever going to meet that potential from when he came in in 2013 and there's all the rumors and the stories about when he's in the Dodgers locker room that I'm sure Joey can get to so I think that's a bigger question than even the baseball fit to me um just getting your point about him stealing a spot I think Honestly, man, I just think it's the manager's job is to put the best players out that can help the team win. And so I don't really see that as a threat because I don't think Gabe Kapler would have Puig out there if he really was just stealing reps with one of the younger guys who could get out there and contribute and help the Giants win games. And like Rory, you said, Puig might not be comfortable with his role as a platoon guy. But at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter because Puig's not the manager. And so if Kapler sees fit, that Puig is only starting a couple times a week or he's getting a limited amount of reps and Puig's not cool with that, it's too bad. Bottom line is... Right, but if you want that kind of energy in the locker room, I guess is the worry because Puig's not a quiet guy, you know. And I guess the worry would be that these younger players who are wide-eyed and, like, willing to be coached are going to be, like, either like poisoned by Puig or just like thrown off by the whole situation. And it's going to kind of create internal strife within the team. And like, we've all played sports in our past and we know when you have one guy who kind of isn't happy and lets everyone know it kind of, there's a ripple effect throughout the whole team that can be really negative. And sometimes you just don't want that energy around. Yeah, no, that's true. But I do think that, like, the Giants, they're not going to sign him without all of that in mind. And they know what they're getting, and they understand, like, the locker room hazard that Puig could be. Right. 
And so, like, I just feel like in that industry, like, in the league, stuff can change so quickly. And we saw, like, how abruptly he was flipped from the Reds to the Indians. Nobody really saw that coming, nor did anyone see in the offseason him getting flipped from the Dodgers to the Reds. Like, I just think that if something, a problem did arise, they would have no problem and no reluctance to get rid of him. I think a good comparison to Puig in terms of the current crop of giants that we have is Pablo Sandoval. Now, Sandoval didn't have maturity issues to the same degree, I would say, as Puig, but you saw a little bit of that same thing where he would constantly struggle with his physique. And I think as a result of his experience with Boston, after he burned the bridges and then he came back to the organization, I think Sandoval had what I'd like to say that coming to the baseball gods moment where it kind of hit him that I can't like I can't just be this superstar. I can't just live in my own reality. I have to I have to grow up, to put it plain and simple. And a part of me, like I can't get into the mind of a Puig, but based off what I've read and based off what's transpired in Puig's career over the past two years, I feel as if Puig had something similar to that coming to the baseball gods moment where he realizes that this is what happens when you don't put in the work. This is what happens when you act a certain type of way. There was actually a point that was brought up um, on Andrew Bagley's athletic article where if you like, if you look at his Twitter right now, it's just, he's this model citizen where he's like donating, he's donating masks, he's donating food. He's being a really big contributor in um, the fight against coronavirus and then the duality of that being he's racing go-karts in Japan but I think that that's just that's just the product of a dude that likes to have fun but a part of me does believe it's two things the first is that I think these last two years have really changed his outlook I, I would like to believe that just because you go from being the like the man the definitive man in the organization to being flipped for nothing and I don't think you can go through those that period of time without having to have some time to reflect I'm honestly forgetting my second point (laughs) but I I will say there's a there's something to another point that I did want to make is that Puig in the words of the poet Aubrey Graham otherwise known as the sixth otherwise known as Drizzy, otherwise known as Drake, uh, Puig went from zero to 100 real quick. He went from being in a communist country where he literally risked his life to come to the United States. He was barely in the minor leagues. He goes on this insane run. He ascends to stardom. And the checks and balances aren't really there from the beginning to like bring him back down to earth. And as a result of that, his... Like, like, what was the, the quote, Roy? What was that quote that we were talking about in the group chat? Oh, yeah, where he said, Papi, where I'm from, we don't worry about tomorrow. Exactly. And that kind of encapsulates who he is. So it's, it's a lot of that early on. And because they didn't really rein him in, it's like his, like his exuberant personality just had the rein to run wild. And I think it's really difficult to maintain that level of passion and fun and a little bit of egotism at if this is where you are if you come to realize that it's march or it's well, it's march it's april it's may a lot of these guys like yasmani grandal edwin encarnacion all of these types of guys are getting the big contracts they're the guys getting the big money why is that and i think 
as a result of all this, the production, the platooning, it's created a different mental state for Puig, or not a different one, a, a more evolved one. And then if you bring him to a Giants locker room where there's like Sandoval, who has a like, who's mentally matured, Pence, Crawford, Bell, all these veteran guys, they might be a really good influence on him too, as he still comes into his own. I, w- I hope that's true because I've always enjoyed watching Puig. Puig is an exciting player in an era where it's your biggest superstar is a cardboard cutout like Mike Trout. No chats, but like we, we need some exciting guys in the league, and he's always been one of those dudes for me. I hope that's true. I just think we cannot know for sure, though, with Puig. It's really – no one's been able to penetrate Puig, like, based on his experiences in Cuba and trying to get here. He has, like – I'm pretty sure from what I read, a really small inner, inner circle. He's slow to trust, and he really trusts his own instinct. And so – I mean, that makes a lot of sense, the way you frame it, that he's been humbled and he's had his come-to-the-baseball-gods moment. But I don't – I we can't know for sure, but I really do hope that's true. That's got to be an incredibly humbling experience to, like, <clears throat> come out of the World Series, like losing the World Series, and then all of a sudden just get flipped for Cash and Homer Bailey, who then just gets dumped by the Dodgers right after trading for him. That's got to be a big wake-up moment. In regard to, like, what he's tweeting and stuff, I don't think Puig's ever been, like, a bad dude, and I know he did a lot of community service work in L.A., and I feel like he's always been – he's always, like, been super active with fans, at least on Instagram, and always trying to give back to the community. Um, But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, he's the wild horse, and I think he's going to continue to be himself. And so I don't think his character is at all in question. It's just a matter of, like, do you want that distraction? And I think that's really the big question that Giants fans would have to ask. I think it's the matter of finding that equilibrium between allowing him to be himself and like knowing when to tell him when he's going too far. I guess because we're recording on a Sunday and this Jordan documentary is about to come, we, we need to like have like a counter every time we mention this documentary. <laughs> But I think it, it's not apples to orange. It is, it is apples to oranges, but like Dennis Rodman, it's knowing the buttons to push, knowing when to ring it. Like the whole, like right. the, the, the extreme version of this is like the Vegas trip, but it's like knowing what buttons to push, knowing how to work, like how they operate and like knowing how to manage that in order to get the most out of them and allow them to be in an environment where their growth, both as a ball player and as a human being are endorsed. And I think we, I think it is, me and my friend were talking about this earlier today. It's when we think about like growth, it's it's a super malleable thing, but because of our desire to put things into boxes, we treat it as something that's super static. And so it's, I think in terms of just general perception, it's a lot more difficult to shake our prior perception of someone, even if they are changing in the moment. So in terms of Puig, it's again, like, we don't know who he is. We don't know if he's humbled by this at all. But you got to consider, like, there is potentially a lot of opportunity or there has been a lot of opportunity for him to, like, take a step back, take stock and be like, maybe what I'm, maybe my approach here isn't working. Maybe this approach is what got me 
like got me to an all-star game, got me to play in a home run derby, got helped get my team to the world series. But at 29 years old, maybe it's time to change something. And again, we can't say that definitively, but again, just not even in terms of Puig, but in general, it's like if just any human being that has like these, these potential experiences, that's kind of the hope. Justice, though, what do you think is taking, like you said, you got to find the balance between like letting him be himself and also letting him know when he takes it too far. Like is, okay, like for example, when he would like kiss Davey Lopes or Tim Wallach or all any of his coaches anytime he had a home run or something, or like where do you draw that line? Uh, I think you draw the line when it starts being counterproductive to the team. Like as long as the team isn't being affected, like doing like the whole kisses thing, like kissing the bat, like licking his bat, that's all like good and fun, but like one of the examples in the um, the Andy McCullough article that you sent us is where there's like a line drive down the line, he dives for it, and it's like a valiant effort, but if he had positioned himself defensively, he probably would have gotten to that ball. So in terms of like the general personality aspects of it, that's one thing, but when your personality permeates into your personality as a ball player in terms of what you, your responsibilities are, then that's another thing. If you're trying to take the extra base when you know you shouldn't, if you are positioning yourself way out of alignment, if the coaching staff is giving you suggestions based off like track man and electronic data, and you're just not adhering to them because you don't want to, that's kind of where you draw the line and say, we know who you want to be. You can be yourself, but like, this is like what you do out there in terms of you expressing yourself is a lot different than what you should be doing and how you should be adjusting for the sake of this team. We're literally ripping up the uh, outfield cards in front of the <laughs> <laughs> That was, damn, that was a baller move. But, like, my man, he, he, like, you can't be doing that with the Giants. I think Gabe Kapler is not going to be a fan of that. And he's, But Gabe Kapler, from what I've read, he can be, like, the players seem to like him in a way. I mean, he, he's very analytical which pissed a lot of players off, but at the same time, he's a former player and he kind of knows how to talk to his guys. Um, so, and he speaks Spanish, which, you know, you like, that's a big thing in MLB, these managers, if you can't directly communicate with your player. Um, so I don't know, Gabe Kapler, we still don't know what we're getting with him. So I'd be interested to see if he can handle a personality like Puig. But as a Giants fan, it was, like, really exciting, especially I think it was June when we went on that run, June or July. And, uh, like, a lot of these young outfielders were so fun to watch. Dickerson with the homers. Yastrzemski just coming out of nowhere. Like, he's a pretty old guy, but, like, we still look at him as a young player. He's still developing. He showed really interesting potential. And Jalen Davis, I've always been kind of excited about just the way he just the way he looks as a baseball player. I'm like, this guy could be great. So I can see other Giants fans feeling like me where it's like, I just want to see the young guys ball and like not have to worry about anything else. And maybe if you bring Puig in that mix. It's just like, I don't know, it might change the dynamics a little bit, throw them off. That's what I'm kind of worried about. But I'm, I, I feel myself being pulled in two different directions because at the same time, I'm like, 
I want to watch exciting baseball. And Yasiel Puig is the definition of excitement. And, like, would just be a lot of fun to have on the team. And if he plays really well, you know, maybe a playoff team, because I doubt we're going to make the playoffs. Serious Giants fans, let's be honest. We're probably not going to make the playoffs. If he plays well, you know, increases his value, maybe we can sell him off to a team chasing October or whenever they're going to do the postseason. And we get some good prospects in return or some good young guys in return. Like, he could be valuable in that way as well. So, I'm I, I'm being pulled to different directions right now. Um, like, excitement factor removed. Do you guys think if you plugged him into your lineup, though, he could actually make the team – better like we see like the tight he's like a 265 27 home run like 70 something rbi he's pretty slightly above average all across the board and then he's just got a hose out in right field and that's for sure like his best attribute but it sounds like because i know the giants have like six top 100 prospects like you guys are obviously rebuilding um and it sounds like you guys have options in the outfield like does he make you better i will say it's it's a matter of – well, okay, so regarding the top 100 prospects, both Elliot Ramos and Hunter Bishop, they wouldn't be ready for 2020 or maybe even 2021 anyhow. They might be ready for 2021, but with how this season's going, it might it kind of throws everything out of proportion. I would say, like, while you do want to get young guys in the mix, you also just can't force feed them, which is, like, one thing because, like, even though like a Davis or like a Chris Shaw, like really show their potential. It's like, you can't just throw them into major league pitching if they're constantly scuffling. And I guess in terms of this whole thing about wanting to get the younger guys reps, the two names that come to mind, and this might be a deep cut is Mac Williamson and Jarrett Parker heading into the 2017 season. It was who was going to win that left field battle. And it it went to Parker and like Mac Williamson eventually got his due, but he unfortunately just kept getting injured. Well, it was the it was the concussion that he sustained yeah. on the mound, but they both got like a pretty healthy amount of at bats. But it turns out they just kind of weren't up to snuff. So while you do want to prioritize the younger guys getting at bats, there's no guarantee that they're going to produce. So let's say hypothetically, Yastrzemski starts hitting below 200. Let's just say they like all the young guys start hitting below 200. Just are like like below league average hitters at that point you just kind of need someone like even if it's not for a playoff run that can just like be like a decent hitter and it's like if these guys are just like scuffling it's probably better to have them go to AAA where they can get their confidence up and develop the right type of habits so in on one end Pui can kind of be like this guy who if he plays well he can be flipped later on and then you get your value from him that way on the other end, you can kind of just be like a kind of like a safety valve where it's like if these guys are just so bad, it's like, and then also you got to consider Dickerson and Pence who are like often injured. So like there's a lot of scenarios where either through production or injuries or some combination of the two that there just becomes an opening in right field. But can you get a safety valve with a Billy Hamilton and maybe another outfielder on the market? That's not – that you can kind of basically get Yasiel Puig's production and maybe one or two players elsewhere. 
Like, what is the X factor that is going to make you say, like, we could probably, like, get this together a little bit if things start going badly, but, like, I, I'm interested to see what the what is really going to put Yasiel Puig over the edge for the Giants if they end up signing him. Like, what's the rationale behind that? I think the, the overarching allure of him is the potential to flip him later on, if that becomes a thing. Like if the Giants were a playoff team and they like this would be like an entirely different conversation, but the the Farhan Zaidi administration has done a superb job of bringing in young talent. Like I think in their top thirty prospects, like like three fourths of them have been brought in during the the Farhan Zaidi administration, and like he. I will say this too. Zaidi has not really cared about PR whatsoever. He has just gone with whichever really not. <laughs> he believes to be most beneficial to his organization. And I think Puig, if he just gets red hot, if he proves he can be mature, if he proves like he's willing to be in a potentially a platoon role or play multiple positions, maybe even if he like embraces left field, that could be another thing that just raises his value if he can be valuable enough as a player that he can be shipped off, that's, I think that's like the giants most ideal situation for him. That's best case scenario. I think that's the best case scenario. Shows maturity. And then we flip him for what, whatever we need, like bullpen or maybe get like an organization's best prospect. You probably, I think you probably get something like a your 10th 11th 12th best guy but even at that like if you get those enough of those guys in the organization every minor leaguer is like a roll of the dice and maybe like one in eight of your guys pans out but the more opportunities the more guys you have you can roll that dice with the then math. yeah just find that diamond in the rough yeah. like a yastrzemski with a giants just kind of came like like a little or how Mauricio Dubon, like, through this trade with Drew Pomeranz, is becoming this super utility guy. Or right. Jaden Davis, how he could become a corner outfielder. It's about seeing what you could potentially have, like, all these other avenues, and just kind of rolling the dice to see, like, let's let's see what we can find based – and let's maximize the assets that we have. And this is kind of what – for the Giants' perspective, why the cancellation, it sucks for them, is because you could have done the same thing with – a Samarja, you could have done the same thing with Watson, or even probably wouldn't trade Hunter Pence, but like that option was available that these guys could be flipped and you could trade them for future value. So to go back to answer the question, I think that's probably the best case scenario. If Pui was to play like below average and they, I believe it's, they said it was a player option, which, so then the worst case scenario there is they just, they get stuck with him for two years, but Again, he would come relatively cheaply. The Giants would still be able to maintain a lot of their financial flexibility. And then maybe he even maybe he plays better on that second year of his contract and he can be flipped that year as well without having this looming player option when he's just an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2021 season. So I think that's the that's where a lot of his value is gonna come from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how I see it as well. But I guess with Puig, like I said, you project onto him what you want to see. So it's really easy to sell yourself on him. And at the same time, 
like with the Andy McCullough article, you have people like Corey Seager being like, oh, do I have a good Yasiel Puig story? No. <laughs> uh, like, I think it's pretty telling the way a lot of the Dodgers felt. And even his own quotes where he said, oh, yeah, I wasn't trying my hardest in L.A. Like, can you fully trust a guy like that or even project how he's going to play? It's such a wild card to me. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do – I mean, he he said, like, I'm not, I wasn't expecting a contract, so why would I be working as hard as I could? And it's like, bro, you're going to – I don't know. That's that kind of – like, <laughs> That even came out and said that. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I will say that regardless of whether or not they do sign him, it seems on, like, the lower risk end of the spectrum because they're not going to sign him to, like, a – Oh, no. He's a four-year, $50 million contract. It's – like it's probably going to be somewhere, like maybe below ten million. I, I I'm not. I saw today. I don't know if you read this, but apparently Miami offered him a deal for ten million, and he turned it down. Partly because Miami would just put a lot of pressure on him because of the whole Cuban community down there. Uh, so he's like, I don't know if I want to deal with that. But so that sounds like that's probably his market right now. Is, yeah, it's ten million range. Yeah, and so. I think I mentioned it earlier, but I think because it's gotten so late in the free agency point to the point where you can't even sign people, I think that just with every passing day, he's probably going to show more of more of a not reluctance, more of a willingness to take less um, than he probably would have made on the open market had he signed in November or December. So. Right. I just don't think this is going to be a situation where he's really draining the Giants financially. It's probably going to be something on the cheaper side. And if worse really comes to worse, you can't – like, if there's no value for him to be traded for, if the young guys start producing and you just don't have room for him, just release him. And I think don't underestimate a player playing for that next contract. Like, I think Puig, as stubborn as he is, that man, like you said, he's seen his peers get paid. He – probably wants to get paid on that level and when a player has that kind of incentive maybe finally you know starts showing up on time and developing a routine developing smart habits that he refused to do in LA I think and those are always guys I like to take chances on if I'm in the front office those guys playing for that next team that next contract where we're not going to pay you but we can get you to that next team that will pay you so work with us, we'll work with you. Never underestimate the potency of a guy looking for his next contract. <laughs> Honestly, it's a great rule of thumb in all sports. Well, it's actually, Rory, you said that the Marlins offered him a deal. That really is surprising to me because you were just talking about how he was late and like had all these bad habits in L.A. And I know Donnie Baseball, who's now managing the Marlins, he like loves his former Dodgers and he's like no problem bringing dudes in. But I know he didn't like Puig at least from what we all saw, and he would fine him and bench him and all kinds of stuff. So it was just a trip that he would offer him a contract. That's definitely not a Don Mattingly idea. That is a uh, public relations, like how do we sell tickets to Miami Marlins game, you know? Come Cuba, there's hella Cubans down there. It was definitely all it was, yeah. Don Mattingly would beat their gritted teeth. Like, geez. That'd be so funny to see them reunited. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> that would be amazing. 
But did we have any final thoughts uh, regarding the rumors? I think we kind of hit on all of the, the main points here. I think this is going to be one of the more polarizing signings for Giants fans uh, if this actually goes through because there's a lot of Giants fans who are just anti any Dodger signing and definitely anti Puig considering the Bumgarner history. But I know there's plenty of Giants fans who have always loved Puig and always just enjoyed whenever he showed up in AT&T. Um, and like, it'd be a lot of fun. So who knows, who knows if the season is happening. I just love talking about actual real baseball potential here. So I love it. I mean, Puig, I think you'll love San Francisco if you do come through. Let's hang out. Actually, we're to go-kart. We'll do it. I think I could see it from all perspectives where it would be like I think on the one hand, the positives are everything you guys said about, you know, you could flip him if he does well. Um, you're going to get him at a pretty low cost. It could be pretty low risk, high reward. Um, on the one hand, I see that. But on the other hand, I could totally see it going like, dude, this guy could just come in and destroy our culture. We're trying to build something here. He could really like put a chink in the chain so type of thing. So I could really see it going both ways. But the Giants, as you guys said, like they do need some spice right now, some excitement. And I do think Puig could bring a dramatic flair, help sell some tickets. It'll be awesome seeing him and Bumgarner in the same division again. And it'll be so weird seeing it as Puig the Giant versus Mad Bum the non-Giant. Like I think there's so many cool storylines. So I'd like to see it. Imagine that Pablo Puig poster that Giants PR will put together. <laughs> Oh, that would be insane. And just, like, the YouTube videos of them, like, mic'd up, like, yelling at each other in Spanish. Like, I would love, a little, love that. Social media, giant social media wants us to happen. I a little miniseries, Pablo and Puig. Or oh Pablo, God. Puig, and Pence. Return of the Killer Pete. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That would just be, like, the greatest sitcom. I would love it. I think Johnny Cueto. Hey, speaking of wild horse, Johnny Cueto needs someone else to ride horses with. Oh, Cueto! <laughs> oh my God, that would be it. That would be. Cueto, you yeah. know what? Giants have more interesting personalities than we get credit for. You know, that'd be a very interesting locker room. But if there are if there are any updates on this, which who knows? The shelter in place got extended till May. Baseball, like, wants to come back, but at this point, who knows? We'll see. You got some of America opening up that may come back and bite us in the ass. So, who knows? We need to to embrace the Dirt Nowitzki philosophy. Shut it down! Let's go home! (laughs) Shut it down! Let's go home! Season number one. Episode number 12, Justice Del Santos, Rory O'Toole, Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron. Until next time, y'all. Viva la Cuba!